Doing it live on a Tuesday, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. It is the Dubcast, and boy, we've got ourselves a little week, don't we, to discuss, my friend. You know, it's funny. We started the show last week uh, talking about the imminent hiring of Kevin Wilson, and finally, seven days later, we have an official hiring of Kevin Wilson, the former Indiana coach on board as the offensive coordinator, tight ends coach at Ohio State. It, well, this was sloppily handled by Ohio State. Um, uh, we'll just get right into it. This was sloppily yeah. handled. Um, I don't know. I don't know the best way to do it, but this wasn't it. Um, And what I mean by that is uh, this has been in the works for a long time. Uh, It got out last week. We at 11 Warriors had the story this morning of his new email address (laughs) on the (laughs) school directory. Um, And and it took until late in the afternoon for, uh, for Kevin Wilson to be officially named. And so the reason that I believe that happened is obviously Ed Werner needed to find a job and he was gently nudged or, uh, or, or flat out thrown through a window out the door of Columbus. I don't know how you can read it any other way than that. Uh, I don't think you leave Ohio state as the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach to go be the offensive line coach at Minnesota for row the boat guy. I just, that's, that's not a job that you leave for without being forced to. Um, So I think we can all see that. I think Ohio State and Urban Meyer could have handled this better. Um, I think that Ed Werner probably deserved a little more uh, respect for what he did at the early tenure of this program where he took offensive line play at Ohio State to a new level. I mean, we'd never seen anything like this under Trestle and Bowman, never. Uh, what we got out of out of Ed Werner his first few years when he was just the offensive line coach at Ohio State, which included a national title. But this was incredible offensive line play that we were able to witness. And I used to claim, and I I still do, that that when he was just the offensive line coach, I never saw anybody do it better than him. I thought he was the best offensive line coach in the country. And this, to me, Johnny, is a little unseemly the way it was handled by Ohio State. Oh, yeah, and I would definitely agree with that, especially since, you know, Kevin Wilson was considered to be basically like, you know, the guy waiting for this for weeks and there was kind of just this tacit like yeah okay like we know it's going to happen but is it going to happen tomorrow or is it going to happen in april and it i don't know let me ask you this do you think this kind of smacks a little bit of desperation not desperation but panic i guess is a better word i think it strikes of urban's absurd competitive spirit which has done us very well in the past yeah um i I think that when urban Meyer went to bed that night in the desert and he said, uh, I, the two things that I made my coaching career on were being an offensive genius and special teams being very, very good. Both those things failed me and I can't fire myself. So (laughs) we got to start running some people the hell out of here. And my guess is the Tim Beck stuff was weeks in, in the, in the making. I mean, you don't, that doesn't turn that quickly. Those conversations with Tom to go down to work at Texas, that was probably weeks in the making. And then uh, Ed probably my read on it, and I don't have any ins- any inside insight. Just connecting the dots would be that that Ed has been trying to find a job for uh, better than a week, ten days or so. He's been trying to find a job and trying to land a gig, and and he's obviously struggled to do so. And so he, you know, the the report on someplace yesterday, one of the one of the sites yesterday, saying that, and I, I know I think we followed up as well that. You know, Ed was interviewing to be the offensive coordinator at Minnesota, and then he ends up being the offensive line coach at Minnesota. And maybe that tells you all you need to know. Um, desperation. I think there is a desperation. I think there's. I think Urban is desperately competitive, and I think he, when he says that won't happen again at Ohio State, and, and this is why you love him as your football coach because 
you know, you don't know Ed Warner, you don't know his family, you don't know the impact it has. Um, but you damn sure know Urban Meyer, and you know, you know, you're going to better get a better football program a year from now. This is a cutthroat move. <laughs> this was a this was a this was a big boy, uh, big time, big business college sports move uh, to do what happened here. And um, desperate, sure, a little uh, ultra competitive, absolutely. Uh, the ability to hire someone of Kevin Wilson's acumen and and re- and replace, you know, it's just like when you replace Chris Ash with Greg Schiano. Chris Ash is a really good coach. And I think he's going to do okay at Rutgers, but you replace him by the, with the best coach to ever coach at Rutgers and an NFL experience. You replaced uh, Ed Warner, who I thought was the best offensive line coach in the country for the start of his tenure at Ohio State, with a guy who's one of the best offensive minds in all of college football. So your coaching staff is better because of this. And, and most Buckeye fans, and uh, you know, by the time we get to next year, we'll forget about all this. But uh, to me, at least, Johnny, I think Ed maybe deserved a little better than what he got here on the way out the door. Well, especially considering that, you know, this is a guy who a year and a half ago was the most beloved coach on the staff. And then you've got a huge, you know, mess up in 2015 where it's like, you can't decide who's going to be in charge. You have a quarterback controversy. It just doesn't go very well. And you would hope that the ship would be right in 2016 because you've got more consistency at that position right. and you just see it. We, you know, we were talking about this on Slack and you know, the, you've heard of the Peter principle, right? That managers rise to the level of their incompetence. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. I, you know, look, I, I think Warner is still a very, very good coach. And I really think that the situation was never really favorable for him uh, in doing what he's doing. I think you basically have to be Kevin Wilson or Tom Herman to kind of succeed as the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer, because you've got to mm-hmm. have that certain type of personality. And from what we know a little bit about Ed is that he's not a, you know, he's not a guy who will come in and like sell ice to Eskimos, you know, to, to paraphrase. No. Uh, <laughs> to paraphrase, no. uh, you know, Ramsey on, on Slack here today, but, um, I, it's not, it doesn't mean he's not good. And I think a lot of people are going to make that assumption. And I, I, I just think that he, like you, you know, like you, I believe that he deserves a little better than what he got. And to be in a position where, you know, your employer is just waiting around for you to find any job so that they can right. publicly announce that they fired you is pretty shady. And you know, for us to, I mean, you know, we're, we're publishing public information. This is stuff that anybody, literally anyone can find because you just do a, a people search on the Ohio State website for, you know, their email address. And you can find that Kevin Wilson is employed by Ohio State University and the athletic department. So I just think they needed to be more upfront with the process. I think people will accept that uh, out of Urban Meyer. But I, when it becomes this, like, you know, tit for tat kind of thing and we're going to just be real quiet about it until it gets his stuff right it just seems very shady it seems very unfair to him and it's you know he i I don't think he wants to be the offensive line coach of course not (laughs) no of course not uh you know he was he was kicked out the door and you wonder how long he's been you know not employed by ohio state and how long kevin has been employed by ohio state you know like because you can only have nine of those guys so i mean you know the overlap is interesting. So, uh, you know, to me, I think, you know, he probably deserved a little better in terms of the end result for Ohio State fans. And most of you listening will care mostly about this. This is sure. a tremendous upgrade. Um, you got studs on the offensive line, although I didn't think his first year was gangbusters. So the offensive line play this year was not what it had been in the previous years. So, you know, that needs to improve, um, you know, th- that that part of it. The um, 
in terms of what Ed did early on in his tenure. I, you know, Studs has got to get back to that level. Uh, but Kevin Wilson as a play caller is a genius. I, I think he's um, he's actually more proven than Tom, obviously more proven than Tom was when he was hired. And I think probably even a better play caller uh, than Tommy was during his time at Ohio State. From what I saw out of Kevin Wilson when he was at Indiana was from an offensive standpoint, when they played really good teams, he scored points. And I, I, of course, I didn't watch every Indiana game because I'm not crazy, but I watched him play Ohio State for a lot of years. And, and I saw what he did with lesser talent and scare the bejesus out of Ohio State. And um, I think it'll fit perfectly with what Urban's doing. Um, I, I think it's a home run in that sense. I think it'll be great in the recruiting sense because of his ability to develop quarterbacks, which he's done you know, at Oklahoma before he was at Indiana. I mean, the quarterback recruiting is is pretty tremendous right now with Martell coming in and then uh, from, from there, just better and better. But um, I, I, in the end, re, the end result of this is an incredible staff upgrade on the offensive side of the ball. And um, I think also a clearer voice because I don't think Kevin Wilson comes to Indiana to not have almost total autonomy offensively. I mean, it's still urban side of the ball. He's going to poke oh, sure. in. Well, I guess is Kevin Wilson has uh, a lot of the control of the offense as long as he doesn't screw it up. Well, and I think you know there's a lot of they're very simpatico, right? Like you, you bring in Shiano and Wilson; these are these are Urban Meyer's guys. Like <laughs> he loves those dudes. And well, there's no history with Kevin and Urban other than a mutual admiration society, though. Well, I mean, right? right? I, I and they've think, never. No, no. I just to be clear, philosophically, I think they're yeah, really, philosophically really for sure. But I mean, it's these. You know, Wilson wasn't somebody who has been on urban staff before or something. I think it, you know, just an incredible, the one connection though, now, now that I'm saying this, the one connection though is uh, urban's incredible admiration for Bob Stoops. Right. And the way that Stoops, you know, handles his program and balances family and program and all that. I know urban has followed a lot of that. So I'm sure Bob had, uh, he leaned heavily on Bob with this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see how it might play out. I mean, like you said, watching Indiana do what they did to Ohio state and some other teams as well. I mean, they, they kind of fell off a little bit this year, they especially offensively. But in the past several years, I mean, they've just been really, really good overall on that side of the ball. I and mean, obviously, that's where his talents lie. And I just, I feel like these guys, they're they're on the same wavelength. I think Wilson, Shiano, Urban. I think that's the the guys that he wants. I think he's really comfortable with all those guys. And I, I think they, yeah. you know, they just coach in a very similar fashion as well. I mean, they're all really type a like go get them kind of guys oh, yeah and really and that's great and that's awesome but also what happens when you've got a coach who does not live ex- live up to expectations for a sure. year and a half you've got a problem and that guy's going to get left by the wayside and we're going to talk about this a little bit more but that also affects players as well i mean that mentality it, it's the same deal and unfortunately players aren't getting paid millions of dollars a year yeah so we'll get into that a little bit as well I think the um, the other thing that's interesting is I'm, I think I'm sure Kevin Wilson has designs on coaching again, oh, and sure. I think that there's enough places he's going to do well. This will be a great rehabilitation for him. This is very similar to what Saban is doing. Uh, you know, Wilson's got some baggage certainly uh, the way he left Indiana, so they didn't fire him because he couldn't coach. So this will be a rehabilitation for Kevin Wilson, much like Kiffin and Sarkeesian is for for Saban right now at Alabama. And Kevin Wilson in a couple of years will be a head coach again. And Greg Shannon will be a head coach after next year. So we're going to be doing this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one thing when you hire people like this um, and you don't hire, you don't get, you know, Tom Herman from Iowa State and, and you think Tommy's going to be around for a while. He ends up 
you know, doing it for three years and then, and then off he went and, and the rest is history. I don't know if anybody thought Tom would be what he was that quickly and now be the coach at Texas within a five-year period. But um, these two guys, Shiano and Wilson, neither of these guys, I don't think anybody has any the illusions that, that these, these guys are going to be around three, four years. I mean, I think it's a two-year deal for, for both. Shiano's probably gone after next year. And Wilson, you'll get two years out of, and you're going to be doing this all over again. So this is your program now. Um, this is what it's going to be. I, you're going to have turnover at the top of the ladder, and the rest of these guys are going to stay uh, in place. I would say that the tremendous amount of pressure offensively now for Ohio State is on Zach Smith. Now, I think Zach is as close to unfireable as you can get because of Urban's relationship with with Earl Bruce, who yeah. gave him his start, who's like a father figure to him, and he's incredibly close with. I think Zach would have to really screw up to be shown the door. But you're at the point now where there's really nobody else. If, if the offense doesn't click and those receivers don't develop, and boy, does he have a – he's got his hands full. <laughs> As we'll get, we're going to get to this in a matter of minutes. No Noah Brown, no Curtis Samuel. He's got his hands full, and those receivers better develop. They've recruited a lot of high-quality guys. He's a great recruiter. Those guys need to start showing up on Saturdays. And so the pressure offensively will now fall on Zach's crew and his receivers to deliver. At no point will Urban Meyer ever fire Zach Smith. Never will. Um, but I could see something similar to what happened to Ed, where it's time to go get another job somewhere else and spread your wings. And so that's where the pressure will be offensively. will be on Zach and a guy who, because of his connections, you know, is, is frankly unfireable. Not that he deserved to be, but but that's that's kind of where we sit as we go into 20, 2017 is – the receivers need to step up big time and, and Zach needs a big year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you can point to that one group as maybe the group that just did not allow them to maybe get over the top against, you know, teams like, well, not necessarily Clemson. I don't know that they necessarily won, even if that, you know, group had played to their potential, but it changes the dynamic of the season and definitely changes how the team plays. Uh, and some of those games that were a lot closer than they had to be. And I don't, I mean, it's interesting because we really clamor for the next guy. If the if one guy is not working, then we absolutely have to have the next guy step up because screw yeah. you, like you didn't perform over a year, so you can't play. And it's interesting how we kind of feed into that mentality because you know when we talk about like how many people are on scholarship and things like that, I think people kind of approve of that. They approve of the idea that we're just going to keep rotating guys until we find the right guys. And I don't know that football necessarily works like that uh, all the time. And it's, it may not be healthy for a program to keep demanding that, either, including on the uh, coaching staff. So yeah. it's, you know, we're going to see how this works out because my preference has always been, I mean, it's fine to have like a hotshot guy and somebody comes in and just has a great couple of years and then maybe moves on to something else. But you've got to have some kind of consistency, especially on the coaching staff. And yeah. Man, you've seen so much turnover lately, and I don't know how that's going to affect the program long term, or even Urban Meyer personally long term, because that requires him to cover up a lot of transition uh, or deficiencies or misunderstandings that might happen in the interim. So he's got a lot of work to do, and, and hiring his guys doesn't necessarily leave him of that. Well, I'll tell you what, buddy. I talked. We talked about this last week. If you were an, if you followed his program at the University of Florida, you feel like you're watching an, a repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Minus all the arrests. I mean, it yeah. feels very similar, uh, very similar at, at the five year mark. All of the transition on the staff hired, fired. 
movement here and there, a lack of trust then developed between Urban and his staff. I, this isn't going to happen this year because he's hiring guys he trusts. You know, and it's time at Florida. He never hired any hired anybody of the of this you know stature of Wilson or Shiano, but um, he didn't trust the people who he did hire. So that was part of the undoing at UF, and here we are. And it, boy, it feels very similar. You know, the end there. And this isn't the end here. I don't mean to scare people, but but it, there are a lot of similarities uh, between the two. Uh, one one guy that that Kevin Wilson will not get to work with, and this has to break his heart, is Curtis Samuel. Hmm. This is not shocking in that Curtis Samuel, I think, is ready to play at the NFL. I don't know what more he needed to prove at Ohio State. My fingers were crossed that he would come back because I really thought he had a potential to be a thousand thousand guy, which would have been crazy. As it stands, he's the only guy in Ohio State history with 1,200, 1,200. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. They've played a lot of football here. This is a heartbreaking loss from in terms of what next year's team will be and what I think the ceiling for next year's team will be because he, to me, is not replaceable. I don't think there's anybody on the roster that can do what he did. Uh, I don't Level think there's Warrior anybody. Slack disagrees with you. They do. Well, they love Demario McCall, I'm sure, because he <laughs> takes pictures on dirt bikes, and and that's fine. Um, he's nice, but yeah. What I would say is there's a lot of people in ten years that have tried to be Percy Harvin, a lot. I mean, we ran a lot of guys into that position from Philly Brown right. to Jalen Marshall, and a lot of them were very accomplished and played in the league. But the only guy who's really been able to do it close, and he's probably about 90% of Percy, is Curtis Samuel. And he's gone now. And you don't just replace that position because there aren't that many guys who can, real, who can truly do that, who can run the ball uh, like a running back and catch the ball like a receiver. There aren't many guys who can do that. And Curtis Samuel could do it. And I don't think, I don't think there's anybody on the roster. And I think it's disingenuous to just plug in uh, Demario McCall or KJ Hill or somebody in this class and say, this guy can do that because until you see some semblance of that, no, they can't. That's a hard job. And there's a reason that urban's tried so many times to duplicate what he had with Percy and has never found anybody who could do all of those things until Curtis. And we really only got one season out of Curtis in terms of true greatness. We got this one great season. I always felt like he was underutilized. I really thought he should have been the Midwest representative at the Heisman. I thought he should have been a thousand, a thousand. I think he really, that was very attainable for him if he was used properly over the last month and a half. And I'm sad to see him go because I really enjoyed watching him play football. And I think he's just a tremendous, I think he was the best player on the football team this year, not named Malik Cooker. That's kind of where I sit with him. Um, so it's a tough spot and I hate to see him go. I'm happy for him because anytime you can go make money, go make money. But sure. this was, to me, this is an enormous blow for the Ohio State program going into 2017. No, look, I mean, that's a good point. And you're right. There isn't anybody on the roster. As much as we love DeMario, as, as we love the GOAT. We love all the crazy things the dude get, gets into. Yeah. We love the fact that he gets in the, like, the, what, the freezer tub, you know, with the ridiculous, like, stuff, you know, with his head poking out Incredible of Incredible character, yeah. He's an amazing dude. Yes. But, I, look, I love those types of players. I love the guy who can do everything. And I think, you know, as Ohio State fans or even Big Ten fans, we've seen so many guys like that who have gone on to become, like, these legendary players in college football. And you want something like that. You, you Even, you know, again, Percy Arvin, you want to see a guy like that because it's just so fun to watch. They're such transcendent players, and it, it, they change how the game is played. You know, I don't know that that's what Ohio State needs next year. I don't know that they need a guy. I, it, look, if you can give me two wide receivers and catch the ball and one guy who can give me 100 yards a game, I don't care if they don't have another Percy Harvin. My whole thing, I've been harping on this forever, is just consistency. And if you have to rely on one guy to give you that, then you don't have it. 
because he's going to get hurt. He's going to get tired. It's not always going to work out in terms of the play calling. I want to see consistency. I want to see who's going to develop over the spring. And if DeMar McCall is Percy Arvin and he ends up being that guy, I will be ecstatic. I think that'll be amazing. Uh, if he can get me, you know, if you can give him the ball 15 times a game or 10 times a game and then give you 75 yards or whatever, that's cool too. I just well, want to see the offense be consistent. That yeah. Get to that point and then bring in a Percy Harvin or whoever. Well, here's the thing, and, and this is what's interesting, is for Urban's offense to go, to really go, and this is why I had the expectations I had this year and why I think sometimes Curtis you know, wasn't used as much as I think he should have. Yeah. In order for this offense to be at its best, you have to be able to have a threat vertically and horizontally. Yeah. And, and that's what that, that's why that position in this offense is critical. And that's why it allows everything you're talking about to take place. Because what that does is it makes you watch Curtis Samuel from one sideline to the other. And if you're watching him and you have to cover him the full width of the field. And at the same time, deal with a burner who can get deep and a back and a quarterback. You literally have to defend the entire field. And that's why that position in a spread offense is critical. The guy who probably didn't get enough credit for being great at it was Jalen Marshall in the year that Ohio state won the national championship. Jalen Marshall did not get the carries that Curtis got because they had a kid named Ezekiel Elliott. And so he did not carry the ball as much as, as, as Curtis did this year, but he was a horizontal threat. And if you have that, then you have you have it all. If you have the horizontal, the vertical, and the inside, you have to defend the whole field. And so that's why that position in this offense is just so critical. And that's why Urban puts such a, a priority on finding somebody who can do that because the offense really doesn't work if you don't have that. You have to have that guy. And so I think DeMar, DeMario obviously get the first shot at it, the first crack at it. He is a tremendous character. Uh, he will be fun to watch. The loss of Samuel is tremendous. The loss of Noah Brown is is shocking, and I have to I have to wonder what the backstory is to this. Yeah, because I can't imagine there's a scenario where anybody in his camp is saying, "Go, you need to go strike while the iron's hot." The iron well, could not be less hot. Like some third round, second round draft evaluation, either. You know what I mean? Like that's what yeah. I mean. There's nobody saying you need to go now and get money. It's not going to get yeah. better than this. So I that that one I I'd be I'm interested to see. Like when somebody gets a hold of him and talks to him, I'm curious to hear what he has to say. Yeah. Well, and that's again that goes to the the point where you've got these players who if if they're not doing it then they're out and you know all the better if they're upperclassmen who could potentially declare earlier and maybe get some money in the NFL to kind of compensate them for their time or something but um yeah I don't know I think I think at some point you've got to really start putting more time into developing players and then thinking more about the position coaches than maybe the overall thing the other thing I was thinking about though I mean yeah so look I at a certain point, you've seen as much Urban Meyer film as you can possibly get. He's been around for a while. His mm-hmm. offenses haven't dramatically changed over the years. Right. At what point does him and you know Kevin Wilson sit down and go, look, we've got to come out with something a little bit new. Like we've got to come out and maybe like surprise some people next year. Not necessarily in terms of like, okay, we're gonna be power eye or some stupid crap like that, but we've got to change our approach a little bit. At what point do you as a coach say that, you know what? maybe people have figured me out a little bit and, and what well, kind of like humility does it take to admit that to yourself and then collaborate with someone else to maybe change it up a little? 
I, I don't think that ever takes place. And um, I think the reason for it is, is that it's, it's the identity. That's what he is. He's a spread. Yeah. He's a power spread option coach. He wants to run it right at you out of the spread. And he wants a vertical threat and a horizontal threat. And that's, that's who he is. That's his identity. And he's been too successful to change it. Um, the execution lacked this year, the last two years, the play calling, the nuance, the feel for play calling lacked incredibly. They became very predictable. Uh, you heard some of the comments from Tim Beck talking about how predictable they were offensively, which led me to believe that it wasn't his choice, even though he took a lot of the flack. Yep. Um, so I, you know, they, they, I think what Kevin Wilson does, um, is, is he gives what he will do is inject life into urban and energy. Uh, they will they will bounce off each other. Urban will respect him and his his thoughts on offense a great deal, and so those offensive rooms now will become uh, really combustible in a good way. I, I think a lot of new ideas will start to come out, but they're going to be who they are, and that's who Kevin was at Indiana. I mean, that's what he tried to do at Indiana. You think about the successes he had with Tevin Coleman, all those cornerbacks, the way they ran it. I mean, it'll be very similar to what Urban does. So. Uh, and the other thing is, is Kevin will take full advantage of JT's skill set because JT Barrett obviously is coming back and the, the offense will be built around what he can do. So uh, it'll be him and Mike Weber. They will be the focal point, but they've got to. And this was something you said going into to when we started, you know, back in August, um, you know, that receiving group, you know, you talk about Noah, Curtis, they got all these young, young Turks coming up. You know they need the some of these kids got to be ball players, yeah. Um, because they they need a couple of these guys to be superstars because you have to have that threat too to make all of this thing work, and you have to be able to get separation. So there will be a ton of pressure on that position group. And with Curtis gone, there you you need a playmaker because right now, I there at, as it currently sits without Curtis Samuel, there there is not a guy on this roster currently that's a home run hitter. What I mean by that is there's not no. a guy in this roster right now who can go 80 on the blink no. of an eye. And this is the first time since Urban and, and some guy there may be this guy in the roster, and I just don't know who he is, and he hasn't been given the chance. But from 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 what I've seen, this is the first time since Urban's been at Ohio State where there's not a known pimp on the roster. I mean, <laughs> yet he, he you know, he had Ur, he had Braxton for the first three years. He had yeah. Braxton. Um, and then from there you have Ezekiel Elliott. And then now you had Curtis Samuel. So you've had a home run hitter the whole time he's been here. And that kid might be on the roster, but there's nobody who's proven anything as a home run hitter right now. So someone's going to have to be that guy. Yeah. And, and we knew going into those seasons that Braxton was that guy, that Zeke was that guy, and Curtis Samuel would be that guy. Well, they need somebody to be that guy. Yeah, and I think I, you know, I think Johnny Dixon was supposed to be that guy. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think he was supposed to be the dude. And that hasn't worked out that way. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's going to be, it's really going to be interesting to see how they, they plan around that because I don't know that that guy exists. Like I, I really like Mario, but I don't know that that guy exists and you're going to be dealing with a lot of small ball, you know, and, and it did not work out in the past couple seasons when they had to do that. So I, where they go from here, I don't know. Um, I do know that I saw a lot of really interesting creative stuff done against Ohio State uh, by teams with lesser talent. Mm-hmm. I think against like the Wisconsin game, for example, I think Paul Christ called an unbelievable game. Uh, yeah. Like his staff was just like my mind was blown watching some of the stuff that they came up with, which is totally unexpected from them. Um, you can you can be creative. You can be smart with the players that you have. 
But I also think you need to understand that you can't expect too much of them. You have to know who you have. You have to know what you have. And if you keep trying to, you know, if you've got K.J. Hill and you want to treat him like Devin Smith, he's not going to make those plays. You've got to understand your personnel. And maybe they haven't figured that out yet. Maybe it's taken a while to figure that out. Maybe there's been some incongruity between the, the coaching staff and the, the players. I don't know. But um, that's where the real work is going to be done, I think, in the spring. How yeah, do you get these coaches to yeah, align with the players that they have? Yeah, I think there's. I think that's true. I think that some of the, the guys who they've recruited to fill roles haven't developed into what yeah. they recruited him to, that they thought they were getting when they recruited him. Is that all on the kid? Is that on some on the coaches? Sure. And look, this is all, this all seems, you know, <laughs> I don't, I mean, this is a team that, that played in the college football playoff, right. And right. At, while replacing one of the great draft classes in school history. So that you're, you know, we're, these are first world problems that we're talking about. But yeah. I, I think in, in respect to watching what we watched Monday night in the national championship game, um, that's what Asp- Ohio State aspires to be. In a position that, that Saban's in at Alabama, and you're, you're knocking on the door of that. You're, you're the first program under that, right? I mean, it's Bama's separated. And then after that, it's, it's Ohio State, and then it's Clemson and Florida State they're kind of in that next group right now. I mean, it's those are the schools who have been in it year in and year out, who recruited a very high level, and they're all we're all kind of in it chasing Alabama. And Alabama lost on Monday, but they'll be right back. They'll probably start next year number one in the country. You know what they're doing in recruiting. It speaks for themselves. And so that's what Urban's aspiring to do, is build a program that every year can get to the playoff, every year can compete for a national championship. So that, that's what you're tr- aspiring to do. And, and, and when we talk about that, that's why, that's why we're, we're judging Ohio State against itself and against Alabama. Yeah. So that's why the curve is the curve. We're not, we're not talking about the University of Nebraska here. We're talking about an Urban Meyer Ohio State program. We're not even talking about a Jim Trestle Ohio State program. We're talking about an Urban Meyer Ohio State program. The expectations here at this program have never been higher than they are right now. And you're chasing this guy who's the best to have ever done it, in my opinion, is Saban. So that's who you're chasing. And so that's why you 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 know, you kind of nitpick these things and you find flaw. And that's why you have a team that did what this team did and they ran out two of their offensive coaches. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> nobody else would do that coming off of that year, losing who they lost would run coaches. They ran coaches because that's the expectation. And good or bad, that's the reality of of the current Ohio State program. Yeah, I mean it's you're right. You're you're judging against an incredibly high standard, and you know, I mean, Nick Saban's only won what one of the last four championships. It's pretty pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> he's really struggling. <laughs> he's bad. He's a bad right. coach. No, I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, watching the watching the game, you know, last night, uh, it, it just struck me that it really does feel like everyone is fighting against this like oppress. It's like, it's like in 1984, right? Like everybody's fighting against big brother. Everybody's trying to take down, like, you know who the top dog is. And then even though Clemson, I think has built an incredible program, it just doesn't feel like anyone is really on their level. And, and you want to get to that point. You want to get to the point where you're this all encompassing. Like I, I control everything. We've always been at war with East Asia. You want to be in charge of everything. You want to have complete lockdown on college football. And 
you you would rather be more like Alabama than like Clemson, even though Clemson just won the national championship, yes. which still blows my mind that right. that's where Alabama is as a program. Yeah, they have. Um, it's the most incredible thing, even with the loss Monday night. It's the most incredible thing I've ever seen in college sports. What yeah. what Saban has done there. If if you look at um, and you whoever you follow for recruiting, I mean, I've been following covering big time college football for 15, 16 years. And I, for whatever reason, I always like rivals. And if I think he's had the number one recruiting class in rivals every year, except for maybe one that he's been at Alabama. Um, and, and whether he's number one or number two, he's at the top, either one or two in almost any ranking since he's been at Alabama, that type of dominance in recruiting is unparalleled. We've never seen anything like it as good as Bobby Bowden recruited in the nineties the or Butch Davis recruited at, at Miami or John Cooper in the nineties or urban at Florida in the two thousands. We've never seen a guy who recruits it to this level year in and year out and gets an at bat in this thing. You're not going to win them all. Sometimes you're going to come up against a kid like Deshaun Watson who says, you know what? Not today. I'm, I'm the best player on the field and you've beaten the living hell out of me. Uh, Ruben Foster specifically has beaten the living hell out of me, but I'm going to go down and be a hero and win a national championship for a school that hasn't won it in 35 years. I'm putting that on my shoulders and I'm going to go do it. But that's what it took. It took a superhuman performance from Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams and some others for Clemson to win the national championship. It took Nick Saban trying to win a national championship with a quarterback who apparently can't throw um, <laughs> because they didn't even try. I mean, they didn't even try to throw. They said the hell with it. Um, I don't think they lose if Bo Scarborough doesn't get hurt, but that can be said about a lot of teams and national championships. What his program is, is the closest thing that we will, we will see to a modern dynasty in college football. And that's what you aspire to be. What's interesting to me about what happened uh, on Monday night is that Dabo Sweeney proved uh, that you can win another way. Dabo Sweeney, in many respects, is following in the in the lines of another guy who went to the University of Alabama and ended up being a pretty good coach by the name of Bobby Bowden. And what Bobby Bowden coached and the way he built his program, uh, some of it, you know, had a nice facade and maybe a little bit of a, a dirty underbelly. Was was through the fellowship of Christian athletes, and he was gonna, you know, hug your, you know, shake your daddy's hand, hug your mama. I mean, that's what he, that's who he was. He when when he went and walked into a kid's room, he was the ultimate closer. He came in, he talked to mamas, and he won over kids, and he sold uh, a program that was faith based. And he's there was no fake in that. I mean, Bobby is every bit that, and that's what Dabo is doing at Clemson. So he's selling a faith based program. And he's selling a player-friendly coach, which is very much what Bobby was at, at Florida State. And that goes the opposite direction of Urban and Saban, who are a utilitarian approach of there's only one way, and it's this way. And if you don't like it, get the hell out of here. It's hmm. a very different approach. And so th that will be interesting to me where, because we copycat, right? Everybody copycats. And you've heard about what Clemson's doing in their program with you know, they got a, some sort of laser tag thing and they got a waterfall and a water slide and um, <laughs> all sorts of crazy stuff in their, uh, you know, their new facility. They're building a very player friendly program where Ohio State, a very pro, a very player friendly faith based program where Urban Meyer is has built a program very successfully as an NFL breeding ground. And Nick Saban has built the program that he's built. So there's all these different ways to go about this. Uh, but Dabo is selling something very, very different, and he's been doing it at a very high level for a long time. Look, he whipped Urban, and then he beat Saban in back-to-back -back weeks, and he beat Urban a couple years ago. So this dude can coach, and he can recruit. 
I'll be interested to see if the staying power is there. I think it is. I think they're now in that level with Florida State, um, where every other year they're going to be in it. Uh, those two teams are going to battle for the ACC. Uh, but that will be interesting to me where that where that goes because this was a very this is a very different way to win a national championship than the way that that Nick and Urban have done it. Yeah, well, and the the thing is, like you're right, it's authentic. I I think this is this is who Dabo is. It's who you know he wants the program to be, and I think that's awesome. Um, and I think it actually serves them really well for the future because not every kid wants to go to a place where you're threatened both losing your position every single year. You know what I mean? Like every single snap is the last snap you'll right. ever take. Not every kid wants that. And I think it's a bit of a misnomer to say, well, if you don't want that, then you're, you must not have the heart to be a football player. You must not want to be a football player. Like you may not have the commitment, which is silly because there are tons of players who they want to enjoy playing football and I think if you can sell it that way as Clemson, I think if you can say that this is a community and we're going to have fun and I'm a player's coach, that appeals to a lot of kids. And you know what? Like, I think the NFL, I think that's a great selling point for Ohio State. But I also think that Clemson has something that will be, you know, that will last. The kids will That will appeal to a lot of kids who want to play um, and win championships. Now that it's proven that you can win championships doing that, um, I think they're they're set up pretty well for the future. Uh, they lose a lot, and, and next year is going to be kind of rough for them. But um, in terms of recruiting, in terms of like how they can appeal to in the next several classes, I think they're they're going to do all right. Yeah, I, I they they will. They, they, I think they have the number one quarterback in the next two classes. Yeah, like pro style quarterback recruiting wise. So they 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 will go nowhere in in that sense. Um, it was fun. It was. It was um, it was it was cool to see to me the emotion with Deshaun Watson. So rarely do we see a kid who, you know, everybody wanted coming out of high school. Urban wanted oh, yeah. so desperately. Everybody wanted this kid. He was the five star. Can't miss. Don't miss. This was the guy. Uh, Dabo landed him at Clemson. He's played for three years. He does as about as much as you can do the year before and can't beat Bama, and then comes back the next year and does it. I mean, we just those type of stories. And then did you see the story about how Warwick Dunn built him and his mama's house? You're aware that Warwick Dunn <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. right? He's built like a 90 of these houses uh, over the last decade or so with his foundation. He finds these single moms and he builds these homes for these families who, you know, single mom families with kids and stuff. And, and Deshaun Watson was one of those families to think that that kid became this guy, this type of leader, this type of character. And to see just the look on his face, just bawling, as the game ended last night was was spectacular, and of course I was rooting for Clemson. <laughs> I've seen it oh, yeah. went enough for God's sakes. Like I'm done with it. Um, but that was that was a tremendous college football game. That was to me, it was right there with Texas, uh, Texas USC, and Ohio State Miami is you know the three best games I've seen in 25, 30 years of watching college football. I, there wasn't much to quibble with with it, and it was a lot of great players. Man, holy cow! There's a lot of NFL guys. When, when Clemson's offense went against Alabama's defense, I mean, it just looked like NFL versus NFL. There were so many pro players uh, going head-to-head in that game. And, and if your local Ohio NFL pro teams have, have interest in getting their teams better, I think they would be very well served simply <laughs> taking the best player available from those two teams. I mean, the Browns yeah. could take the two best players and you know the Bengals could take Reuben Foster and they'd all be better off for it. That was a lot of talent on the field and it was fun to watch. Um, real quickly here, Last 10 minutes or so of the, of the podcast, I wanted to uh, touch a little briefly here on Ohio State basketball and being 0-3. Uh, 
in in Big Ten play. And um, I, I say this pretty strongly that Thad Mott is the best coach in the history of the Ohio State program. I'm aware of what Fred Taylor did, um, but in terms of putting a program on a major map with consistency and and making it a national quantity, Thad Mott had did that. And his winning win loss record speaks for itself. He is a tremendous human being. He's a tremendous representative of Ohio State in every way possible. He has a program right now that is stuck in neutral and slowly drifting backwards. And it's not just the wins and losses. That stuff happens. Recruiting hits and miss happens. It's an overall lack of momentum and program. And it's it's playing a brand of basketball that is just frankly no damn fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not fun to watch. They're not getting results. And for the first time in in his in his, since he's been the coach at Ohio State, there will be a tr- a tremendous amount of competition from the other sports interest in town over the next couple of months. And I'm speaking of the Blue Jackets for your entertainment dollar in Central Ohio. There, you have so much you want to spend uh, of your entertainment dollar disposable income. And and in years past, that might have been to go see Ohio State play Michigan State when Jared Sullinger and Deshaun Deshaun Thomas and Aaron Kraft. We're taking on Draymond Green and those guys, and those were barn burning games. That money may now go to when Sidney Crosby's in town, or the Rangers are in town, or the Flyers are in town. You might go watch the Blue Jackets instead, and that's where the business side of Ohio State of, of a program like Ohio State comes into effect. Thad Mata has earned the right he, I, to me. He's under no hot seat or anything like that, but the there has to be some honest conversation about where the program is at the end of this year and and where it's headed. Because it's this has been a trend for a couple of years now. And if you don't land D'Angelo Russell and he isn't who he turns out to be, this is really a stretch of of pretty uh what's the word I'm looking for? Negative play and just negative neg- a negative program from, from where word, it was. It's not what be, it once was. The the watchword here seems to be malaise. Is is that's a it, great word. That's you know a great I mean? word. Like, that's it, the perfect word. Yes. It's just it's just stuck in the mud, late 1970s. You're watching on old CRT TV. The colors are muted. It's not fun to watch. So there's nothing else on. And all of a sudden, somebody sticks like a you know a 55 inch LED TV next to you, and it's showing like you know Jurassic Park. You're gonna watch yeah. Jurassic Park. You're not gonna yeah. watch a documentary about you know corn farming in the 1970s. <laughs> you don't care. Right. And that's what it feels like. And, and look, no. I don't. I, I love Thad Mata as a human being. I think he's, you know, I agree with you. He's one of the best coaches in Ohio State history. But that doesn't absolve you forever. And honestly, think about it. Without D'Angelo Russell, right? Let's take him out of the equation. What has this team been? What has this program been in the last, like, four seasons, basically? Like, without I mean, it's him, just been a negative. Like, where are they without that dude? Because honestly, like, well, he's no tournaments. really the only I mean, reason why people were watching outside of Aaron Kraft, and that's it. He was really the only draw. And I look, I don't, I want to see Ohio State be successful. More importantly, I want them to see, they want to be watchable, right? Like, yeah, shooting. Not fun. You, you want to get excited to watch an Ohio State game. Right now, there's nobody on the roster that gives you that, you know, kind of feeling. You don't really care to, to go out and see people, you know, try to hustle real hard and get defensive rebounds and then miss the put back on an offensive rebound. Like nobody cares. Um, yeah, there just isn't, there's not a high level of skill. No, you know, there just isn't. And they don't play a, a particularly good brand of basketball. You know, I get melancholy because my, um, 
my some of my very fondest memories at Ohio State covering Ohio State was uh, surround the basketball team and surround Deshaun Thomas, who I just loved. Like uh, those who know me or have followed me for a long time on social media, I had a tremendous relationship with him. He was always my man, Deshaun. Yeah. Um, we would do entire back and forth and in interviews, tongue in cheek about how great he was and and he would play along and it was just it was flawless he was just just a wonderful character but he was also must see tv uh deshaun yeah. thomas was uh fun to to interview and to have fun with but he was great to watch and he could score from anywhere and he would get those there would come those moments that year after sullinger left when he was the you know first team all-american and, and the best player on the team and was featured and scored all at will it seemed um you know, that was the last, to me, that was the last fun season following the Ohio State basketball program. That's been a while because yeah. Aaron's senior year was a very negative, negative year and wasn't fun. That was ugly basketball. And it's been that way since with the exception to the D'Angelo year. And while he was a genius with the basketball, those around him were not. And no. so he didn't have enough weapons with him. You know, he was, he was so far elevated from the rest of the players with which he took the court with that. It, it wasn't joyful to watch them play that year. He was, but the, the, but they weren't. So if you go, you got to go back a long ways. So when you ask the question, what if there's, what if D'Angelo Russell isn't? Then wow, we've got a real problem. And yep. and there's there's been a lack of connection between Thad Mott and the Ohio State high school coaches clearly, and some tremendous misses. And you know you hear all sorts of rumors about why that could be. It's not, you know, up to me on a on 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 our show to to you know throw a rumor out there and try and connect dots. Um, but, but what you could say unequivocally is, is that the best players in the state of Ohio are not coming to Ohio state and they haven't for a while. And when you watch Duke and you see Kennard doing what he's doing and um, some of the others that are, that are around and who have, who have flourished and you say, boy, if they just would have got some of those kids, um, it would have a different feel to it. And Thad said something to me a long time ago. And it was um, after the disappointment, it was the LaQuinton Ross, Aaron Kraft senior year, LaQuinton Ross, they were bounced early in the tournament. I can't remember where those tournament runs all kind of run together. Um, but I remember Thad saying that, you know, the kids that preceded them, and, and Aaron was certainly among them, they knew what it meant that Ohio State was on the front of the jersey. They knew what it meant because they were Ohioans. Many of them right. were from Ohio. And when he was saying that to me, I remember thinking to myself, okay, but then Thad, why did you recruit a whole class of Shannon Scott, Sam Thompson, uh, Amir Williams, LaQuinton Ross, and none of them are from Ohio. Yeah. Like you recruited them. And then you recruited that Austin Grandstaff, Mitchell, those kids, not from Ohio. Like he, it's hard because he is responsible for who he recruits. There's nobody else and who he gets. And they haven't gotten the best. When I think of the downfall of the program, and and it's it's not a downfall now, but it's certainly a neutral and drifting backwards down a hill. That's the hallmark is that he's not getting the best kids in Ohio and Ohio's got great basketball and he's not getting them. And well, if, you're getting the best kids, if you can't get the best kids in Ohio and you're at Ohio state, you're going to have, that's going to be a tough road. And I, I 100% agree with that. And what I would add to it is that think about not just the big mega stars, you know, the, the, you know, Deshaun and D'Angelo and all those other guys and Jared, think about maybe some of the bit players, right? Like some of the guys who, you know, they were they were maybe not the best player on the team, but they were really entertaining, and they're from Ohio. John Diebler, for example, right? Like, I still, like, again, one of the greatest oh, basketball games I've ever watched is John, D John Diebler shooting a trillion threes at Penn State and just infuriating yeah. every single person that ran. William Buford, 
right? Oh, I love Billy Buford. Yep. It was hilarious and insane yeah, and was terrible at times, but also really great. Like those are the players that I think drew, not just the big guys, not the, the big stars that everybody loved, you know, and I think that was a big part of it, but you also had a really great bench, a really great supporting cast who could come in and just be hilarious or be interesting. And for a long time now, it's felt like, okay, here's the one guy. And then the supporting cast is meh. And I don't care. And you got, you got to be interesting. You got to be interesting. You got to find those dudes. And to your point, I mean, if Ohio's not on lockdown, then I don't know, you know, I don't know what you do about that. Um, because it's, it's a, lot it's of a hard spot, John. It's a hard spot. I mean, they play in a cavernous arena that's too big. Yep. Uh, that that the parking sucks. I mean, nobody in February on a Tuesday you do not want to fight park. You know, there's no there's no garage. I mean, it's crazy. You know how? <laughs> it just stinks. It's it's a bad setup. So, and you're going to always be second fiddle to football. So you, you, I think we have to be you have to be careful here because i don't know what the what the what a realistic expectation for ohio state basketball is and maybe that's the problem is that thad changed the expectation because of his early success and yeah. so now we expect connolly odin cook we expect selinger craft thomas we expect in between there evan turner and john diebler and david Lighty, and we expect that and maybe that's not a realistic expectation for what the program can be i tend to think that it is uh, because we've seen it but that's not where they are now. And, and Johnny, to your point, they're a long way from that. I mean, to th- this team would kill for John Diebler. I mean, this team would <laughs> or William Buford, Diebler. frankly. Or Billy Buford. Yes. I mean, you'd kill for William Buford. I mean, you would, David Lighty, you'd kill to have David Lighty. Yeah. So they've missed on a lot of guys and whole classes in some cases. So this, this will be a fascinating two months for, for Thad Mata and his program because he will be fighting for his life to make a tournament, which is looking very, very much like a long shot and to play optimistic basketball. And then he will be fighting, uh, the, the almighty dollar from the tenants down the street at nationwide, because there's so much money to go around in Columbus. And if the blue jackets seems like they've, you went to the game last Saturday, I know Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that was an electric crowd. If they've become the thing to do in while you are playing, you know, through your big 10, season and you don't get to play Wisconsin and Michigan state every other day and you're starting to get smoked in your own town. That's, that's when real red flags start are going to start to come up and they've never yeah, had I to contend he, with that. I think that mod has got another year. And then I think if, if he doesn't turn some things around, make some adjustments by the end of this season, uh, next season is going to be really difficult for him. I, I think he's going to have a lot of answers that he's going to have to provide to people in terms of play. And I don't, I mean, I think he is on the hot seat. I, I think he already is. And I think he'll, I think he'll be fine this wow. year, but next year, next year is going to be real rough. If you see it's so a game, hard for me to wrap my head around game. that, I, I, I pro everything you say is probably true, but it's still so difficult for me to imagine that to be true. I mean, I know it probably is, but it's just who he is, the rate with which he won when I was there and the program that he had to think that, that that one is spinning the way it does. It makes me sad because it was I mean, for a lot of times it was pure joy to cover his program. And he's that good of a guy. He's that yeah. good of a guy. Uh, there's, there's just the stuff that he does that you don't know about. He's just, he's as good as it gets. And I really hope he can dig his way out of it, but you look at what's happening in recruiting and there's just no easy answers. And basketball recruiting is so fickle and you've got to land kids and they're just not landing those kids anymore. So um, 
this this will be this. I, I hope it doesn't go that way, but uh, the way that it's trending is certainly not good. Uh, anything else you want to get to here on the program? We've had a lot to get to, my friend. This is a big yeah, show. I mean, we've we've been through a lot. I, I just you know I I want to the one thing that I want to ask you about because sure. there's there's been a ton going on in general, but uh, I feel like one guy that we've forgotten about, and I don't know why, is Leslie Miles, and. I just want to know what you think he is going to do with his life. Because my hope is that he replaces Corso on game day. Okay. That's that my, would be, oh my God, that would be fantastic. That's my hope. Um, I saw the rumors about him at Minnesota. I'm glad they hired PJ, who, can you imagine, by the way, sitting in that press conference and he said, like act, walking around like a maniac. And then he said, I eat difficult conversations for breakfast. Yeah. And then he like paused, almost realizing how stupid what he said was. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Like that was the most absurd press conference. And I have nothing but respect for him because it appears that whatever he's gotten in his life, he has absolutely earned and worked his ass for. So I have a ton of respect for that. But that was a crazy moment. But I'm glad Les didn't get that job. Uh, I hope he doesn't take, you know, some other job out there. What I don't even know what jobs are still out there, but I hope he doesn't take any of them. And I hope that ESPN hires him to replace Corso. And I could see them doing a thing where, and somebody else said this to me, and I wish I could give credit, but I can't remember who said it, where, you know, he used to eat the grass. Maybe instead of putting on the mascot head, uh, you know, he eats uh, some form of the mascot, you know. So if he's at, at Arkansas and he picks Arkansas to lose, maybe he eats a Razorback on the set. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know exactly the way it plays out. But to me, him not being on college game day, replacing Corso, who, you know, sadly is the end is near, um, would be the biggest shame of all because that's what he should be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think that dude has to be involved in some way in, in our TV sets uh, yes, for as long as possible, as often as possible, because he's insane. I would and never get tired just, of him. Yeah, I just I just appreciate that dude. So. Yeah, I don't know. And, and you know what? Going into this, I think there's going to be a lot more uh, to discuss, especially as we get closer to signing day. Um, yeah, we'll be looking sure. a lot more closely at how Ohio State's class stacks up and how they're going to work it out numbers-wise. Um, that's yeah, you're not a math teacher, but you don't need to be to, to see that there's a numbers crunch coming. Yeah, and that's, and that's going to make some really difficult choices, I think, for the staff and then for some of the players on the team and just how that's all going to work out. So, yeah, I just... I, I am I'm a little torn on that, um, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see how it goes. All right, buddy. Good stuff as always. And yeah, it's going to be an eventful next couple of weeks as we build into signing day. We'll have Andrew on. Uh, Andrew Lynn does a great job with us in recruiting, kind of break down the next couple of weeks and, and have him on a visit with him about kind of where Ohio State's heading on the recruiting front. But uh, good stuff as always, my friend. We'll visit next week. Yep, absolutely.